You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We'd like to thank everybody who is watching us on Bloomberg Television and listening to us around the world on Bloomberg Radio for joining us today, and thank Tom Barkin for joining us today. Uh, most people don't realize, probably, that Washington, D.C. is in the Richmond District, so you're in charge. If your constituents shut down the government this weekend, uh, is it a big deal for the economy? Well, I'm pretty far from in charge, as you well know. Um, uh, well, so look, uh, we have a lot of workers who are employed by the government, and of course there are a lot of citizens uh, who they serve, and this just creates uncertainty. And so I don't have any insight into how long this will last or what will actually uh, happen, but uh, you know, as it plays out, there absolutely are implications. Well, if it goes on for a long time, it is possible you won't have any of the government's economic data. You could go into the November 1st meeting without, say, jobs or CPI data. How does that affect what you do? Well, of course, we economists want to think first and foremost about ourselves, so that's very good. But it would be hard to figure out what's actually happening in the economy without the jobs data, which is the best information in the labor market. It's hard to know what's happening uh, in the economy without the um, inflation data, the PCE inflation data, um, which comes from the Department of Commerce. Uh, but we'll do our best. You take the environment as it is, and you do your best to figure out what's going on. And in my world, I just live every week on the ground, uh, and I'm trying to talk to businesses uh, and workers about what's happening in the economy. And and I'll just double down on that. Have you asked the Richmond staff to come up with any different kind of indicators for you? Well, starting with COVID, uh, we introduced uh, collectively and have been tracking a whole different set of indicators. So uh, I look at credit card spend, uh, for example, as a good indicator of what's happening uh, in consumer spending. And you can get that information, or we can get that information even even weekly. Uh, there are a lot of alternative uh, job opening uh, databases, people who scrape online that we we work with. So I think we're in a lot better shape now than we might have been four or five years ago, just because the uncertainty of COVID gave us a much more significant focus on real-time indicators. Well, let me pick up on something you said there. You get pretty much real-time data on how consumers are doing. How are consumers doing? There's a theory out there that they're starting to pull back. Well, the data on consumer spending, if you look at the last uh, two or three months, has been extraordinary. Um, and frankly, I think a little bit stronger than I uh, see it, at least from the data I'm looking at. You know, for me, it looks like it's okay, it's solid, it's not uh, extraordinary. And we'll see if the revisions uh, prove right. We'll get more data tomorrow, obviously, 
uh, on that. But I think it's solid. Now, you've got to segment it. Um, so the higher end uh, consumer still has money, still has wealth, equity values uh, have been up, house prices are up. And they're still spending, especially on things like experiences and international travel. Um, the lower end consumer clearly is having to reprioritize spend. Uh, and then I've heard some interesting indicators lately that the middle income consumer is starting to reprioritize uh, as well. And that would all make sense in the context of uh, eroding stimulus, uh, higher rates, and the like. What do you think that means for the fourth quarter? Third quarter, all the measures, uh, the, the now casts basically see very strong growth, anywhere from 3 to 5%. Uh, do we fall off a cliff in the fourth quarter? Is a recession a possibility? Well, if you define a cliff as 3.5% or whatever the third quarter forecasts are, I don't see that kind of growth rate uh, continuing. And so you have to always worry about your, your baseline there. Uh, growth still seems solid. You know, we're only two days away from the fourth quarter. And as I said, I still hear uh, a pretty solid business climate. But I'm anticipating the next quarter or two to be solid, not to be robust. And that's that's how I see it. Are you still in the camp that thinks, well, I guess you probably are because there's nobody in the summary of economic projections who said that there was going to be a contraction. You don't see that coming for the economy? Uh, I don't think the kind of growth we saw in the second and third quarter feels likely to continue. I think it's going to come off of that. How much far off of that, we'll see. And, and that's, of course, you know, we have the luxury of time, I guess, to figure out what does happen. We've also got these uncertainties. You talked about a government shutdown, auto strike, oil prices, uh, and the like. There's a lot of things out there that could have an impact uh, on the economy. So, you know, I think I'm going to learn a lot from the next uh, several weeks and several months. Well, that raises the question of uh, the Fed left in the dot plot one more rate move for uh, this year. Um, is that a placeholder in case of emergency, or do you really think we need another, uh, a, another rate move to bring down inflation? Too early for me to know. Um, I think there are a wide range of possible outcomes. You could argue for a resurgence based on the numbers we've been seeing. You could argue for a downturn, as you've been talking about. And you could argue for a return to the pre-COVID uh, economy. I think all of those are, are in sight, and you'd have very different uh, you know, medium-term rate pass against uh, those outcomes. So that's why I like the chance to take some time and see what we see, particularly on demand, uh, both core demand and, uh, and labor demand, and then what we're seeing on inflation. And different scenarios for those things, I think, end up with different scenarios for rates. I assume this means you're in the top line. There's only two lines for 2023 uh, with one more move or uh, stay there. I presume you're in the top line that one more move could be necessary. I'm in the camp of saying, let's see how the economy rolls out, and we'll respond appropriately. What is your baseline forecast for the rest of the year, leaving these other possibilities out? I mean, you obviously can't know what's going to happen with the auto strike, et cetera. But uh, let me expand it. Into the first quarter, where do you see the economy going? Well, I do think we're going to see demand soften. I just think that the combination of credit tightening and uh, the rate impact, uh, the rate, the lagged effective rate increases has got to have some impact. So I've got demand softening. I don't think that's going to have the kind of trauma on the labor market it may historically have had because uh, people are still uh, very loath to fire workers that they spent a year, year and a half trying to acquire. And so I think uh, in addition, businesses have been uh, investing, uh, it's been now 16, 17 months where the leading indicators have predicted a recession. Hasn't happened yet, but businesses in their 23 planning and now businesses in their 24 planning are being cautious. 
And so the combination of that means there's just not as big a cliff as you might expect, uh, even were the economy to slow. But what are they telling you about employment going forward? Because you've raised rates 11 times, more than 500 basis points, and the unemployment rate basically hasn't moved. Uh, are, are they hoarding workers at this point because it's hard to find them? Are they prepared to start laying people off, or do they think they can power through? I think you've got two segments on the labor side. I'll call it the professionals and the non-professionals. The non-professionals are really the part that were short during COVID. And you'll notice if you look at these layoff announcements uh, over the last six or nine months, they're almost all professionals, support and overhead type of people. The skilled trades, the frontline workers, for the most part, aren't being affected. And that's because people are really worried you'll be able to find uh, replacements should the economy come back. On the professional side, while there have been dislocations, that's a group that repots relatively quickly. And so you're not seeing it in the unemployment rate because they typically run unemployment at about 2%. And so it's just a very much lower unemployment group that can find other things to do. And so the dynamics of the unemployment rate are actually just different than you know, the kind of downturn that we're used to, like the one in 08, which hit the people last in the workforce and the manufacturing and the construction workers the hardest. Well, do you still think that unemployment has to rise in order to bring inflation down? Jay Powell promised pain, but so far you're sort of disappointing the masochists. You're saying he's under-delivering on pain? No, uh, I, I think what has to happen is it's very hard to imagine inflation settling while uh, the economy is growing at significantly faster than trend. That just is a, a, a strange thing to believe. You'd have to believe it's all supply. And I think while well, supply has been a big part of this, it's not all of it. We've un unleashed, unfortunately, people's ability to use price as a lever, and they will use it until it comes down. So I think there ought to be some softening. But as I said, I don't think that softening is likely to hit the labor market in the kind of way that we're used to seeing because of this issue of people retaining workers and because of uh, the issue with people who have already been cautious you know, with their hiring. What are business leaders telling you about wages? Are they able now to bring down the increases and get them to a more sustainable level? So if you think of merit pay, and, and most everyone I talk to is thinking about the end of the year merit pool, um, maybe it was 2 or 3% normally. Maybe last year it had to be 5 or 6% because of inflation. People clearly are seeing that coming down. Maybe half the people I'm talking to would say it'll be like it used to be. The other half would say maybe it'll be 3 to 4 not two to three. And so I think bringing down price inflation overall has brought down those kind of expectations. Uh, the place where you're still seeing wage pressure is skilled trades. And uh, you know, construction workers, uh, even I've heard uh, yeah, people who uh, uh, assistance in veterinary stores, you know, places where you need a degree, where demand has shifted up, nurses, uh, and we just haven't had uh, the supply, that's still a place that's got meaningful wage pressure. I have to ask you about the bond market. Um, you heard uh, the anchors talking about the markets uh, b before we came on here. Uh, we've seen yields rising to levels that we haven't seen basically since the great financial crisis started. Uh, does that worry you? Does that encourage you? How do you feel? How do you look at the bond market? I don't know how people look at the bond market every day and keep you know happy or unhappy. It seems like it, it moves. So I don't. I try not to spend too much time focused on it. What I will say is that um, financial conditions are the way that monetary policy work their way through the economy. Um, financial conditions, at least the part which were bond rates and equity values, actually loosened uh, over the summer, and they're tightening uh, back up again. And so. 
I take it as one of many indicators that financial conditions are tightening. And then I'm looking to see whether that tightening has the kind of impact on demand and eventually inflation that we would want. Is that uh, one reason that you took some of the cuts for next year out? Uh, well, everybody did their own version of the SCP, and as you well know, it's a median, so it's not any one person's thing. But um, uh, I think as I looked at the SCP, what I saw was uh, stronger growth forecasts. Um, I saw lower unemployment forecasts, and I saw inflation the same. And the only way those three things square is with the fourth thing, with his less accommodative monetary policy. One more uh, question. Tomorrow we get the PCE numbers mm -hmm. for uh, August. And uh, there is the, the, the people who do the math on these things say if it comes in as forecast at a 0.3 or 0.2 on a month-over-month -month basis, it sets you up to come in below your brand-new forecast for PCE. Uh, do you think that maybe you're doing better than you uh, give the impression on, in terms of uh, bringing down inflation? Well, the last five months of inflation, uh, and they've been restated, as you know, um, have been encouraging. If you look at the last five cores, they've been 0 0.3, 0 0.3, 0 0.3, and then 0 0.2, 0 0.2. And there are a lot of people who estimate another 0.2 tomorrow. And of course, on a six-month basis, that means you're at 3%. And I think on a 12-month basis, it would be 35 or something like that. So that's encouraging. And nobody in my shop is rooting against lower inflation. So we'd be very happy with that. We'll see what happens. All right. Don Barkin, thank you very much for coming in today, the president of the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.